if you've, if you've got a laptop or a phone or a tablet, uh, whether you know it or not, there is something at the core of that, the operating system, which enables everything else to happen. All right? Uh, so whether you know it, but some of you do know. So who's, a, who's an Apple Mac here? Gonna, okay, have a look at those. Now, they tend to be more arty. Uh, <laughs> or have been given it as a present, or as a Windows user, I would say, have more money than sense. But that's them, who are, who are, who are just common and garden Windows people. We got some, there you go, that's us, okay. That's, uh, there you go, okay. And then, and then there's this whole thing about, you know, is it going to be an iPhone or a Samsung? What's it going to be? Is it going to be a tablet? Is it going to be an iPad? Big decisions to make about what sort of operating system you want to run your life through, yeah? And of course, there's those terrible moments. It's not only a matter of choice. Uh, you come to the point of thinking, you get that little message which says, uh, upgrade required. You remember that moment where you, you freeze? You know, you think, oh, my life, what I meant. I got an email just this week from someone who says, you may have heard about the Windows 10 update, which can give you a black screen and a recycle bin icon. So have I, he said. I could, I could hear the tears in his email. All right. The computer doctor fixed it, but all my emails have, been, have lost their reference titles and be replaced by long code numbers. Um, I spent forever finding a little piece of software called uh, Never Windows 10. It's kept me out of all sort of trouble. What I'm saying is your operating system for the way you work that stuff matters. What's that got to do with the fairly complex reading we heard tonight? Well, simply because, in a sense, that is exactly what the Apostle Paul is writing to, uh, to the church in Rome. He's talking to them about operating systems, completely ignorant, obviously, of the kind of operating systems and choices we make, and yet talking about the operating for systems for life that they face. Uh, it's there about the choice of two underlying powers which are going to drive their lives. Uh, and if you think the choice between uh, Windows and Mac or iPhone and Samsung is big, uh, then the choice about the operating systems for real life matters even more. So let's quickly get to the story so far, because right now we're in, uh, we're in chapter, we're back in chapter 8, which is like joining a box set in season two, episode five, all right? You need to know what's happened beforehand. So here's Paul writing to the church in Rome, uh, a church set in the midst of a very decadent community. He describes them very powerfully. He says they become filled with every kind of wickedness. This is the very beginning of the uh, first chapter of Romans. They become filled with greed, every kind of wickedness, evil, depravity, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, and malice. They're gossip, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, arrogant, boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They have no understanding, no fidelity, no love, nor mercy. It's in the midst of a community like that that Paul writes to a group of Christians to try and help them run with the right kind of operating systems. See, Paul has reminded them in the early chapters, uh, the, the, the Christians in Rome, of the kind of lives they used to live, which was governed by the principles that create this kind of behavior in the wider group. But it's quite clear that uh, the, Rome, the church in Rome haven't got it. They haven't understood it fully. Uh, and now he's setting out the options of reminding them of the way it should go. 
And there's a helpful verse just in verse 9, which says this, you are not, he says to them, in the realm of the flesh, but in the realm of the spirit, if indeed the spirit lives in you, or the spirit of God lives in you. Strange words, right? Not everyday language, not the sort of thing you talk about over the coffee machine or, or, or whatever. Uh, so, so what does Paul mean by the flesh? And uh, you need to know it's not Windows 10. It's worse than that. The flesh doesn't equal uh, the physical body, something that can be felt and touched. It's not a, a piece of meat. It's not a, a, physical, a physical entity. Because it's not flesh, but the flesh. The word the is very important here. Uh, the phrase the flesh is a, a term that Paul uses often in other letters to explain something very uh, clear. Uh, essentially, the flesh is an operating system based on my way, uh, not Yahweh. My way, not God's highway. It's about the inner desires of our self-interest. Our own efforts to, uh, uh, to take, to take no account of God. Just going through life, either innocently, seemingly, or willfully, simply saying, it's my way. I am the center of what I do. I'll do things in my own strength, in my own way, the way I want to do them. And just before the passage that we read, there's a, a few verses which make this clear. Verses 7 and 8, it says this. The flesh, that whole way of operating, is hostile to God. So the mind of the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it. Those controlled by the flesh cannot please God. That's one operating system, one way to do life. And verse 13 that we had read. But if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Or in today's world, you're heading for a blue screen and you're in trouble. See, Paul nails it when he uses similar words to the church in Galatia in the same story about the flesh. He says, that which is, uh, he, he puts it, the flesh is that which is contrary to the spirit. That simply puts it to them. The flesh is that which is contrary to the spirit. So what we need to know, therefore, is what is the spirit? And again, the, word, the the is important. Okay? It's the Spirit. Whenever we find in Scripture the and a capital S, we know this is talking about the third person of the Trinity. Uh, very suitable on today, which marks Trinity Sunday in the church calendar and in a church like ours named Holy Trinity. Um, and if you go back to verse 9 that we had read, it says, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you, the Spirit of God lives in you. That's the other operating system. Uh, it's a resource, a unique operating system for believers, for that company of Christians in Rome faced with that hostile environment around them. There was an alternative operating system for them to run by. I don't know about you, I was, I was captivated by Bishop Michael Curry. I know he's been the big talking point. Uh, and I just loved him, all he did and all he said and his emphasis on knowing Jesus and so on. Uh, but it was the power of love that he kept talking about. Uh, and without wanting to undermine anything he said, I just want to underline that that power of love is only possible if you have the power of God living within you as an operating system to do it. You can't do it by gritting your teeth and trying. See, it's, uh, and we need to be those, as Paul says, verse 9, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ... They don't even belong to Christ. 
If we haven't got li God living in us, it's as crucial as that. If we haven't got God as our operating system by the Holy Spirit, uh, we don't even belong to Christ. It's possible to belong to a Christian nation, uh, but not to Christ. Possible to belong to a Christian family, but not to Christ. Possible to belong to a church community and not to Christ. Because to belong to Christ begins with us turning from our own way, our old operating system, saying we want to move from that and putting our trust in the forgiveness that Jesus purchased on the cross and receiving him into our lives. That's, that's the key. But if we've done that, if we've done that, if, 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 if the Holy Spirit is now our operating system, it is just amazing. Because as we saw in verse 11, the Spirit... of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. The spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. Who raised Jesus from the dead? I mean, that's a serious question. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Uh, if it's a difficult question, I can, I can rephrase it. All right? Who raised Jesus from the dead? Try again. Who raised Jesus from the dead? I, you don't seem very convinced or enthusiastic about this. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Who's living in you? You don't seem very sure. I'm going to do that again. Who raised Jesus from the dead? Who's living in you? Can we, can we get that? On the, the crucial thing. See, it's amazing. Who raised Jesus from the dead? God did. Who's living in you and me? By his spirit. The same God who raised Jesus from the dead. The God who made everything and keeps it going lives in us. Uh, Rosie and I spend some of our time in Spain. We're privileged to have a little place there and we kind of mix and mingle between the two communities. We just go there to live. We have friends there, community there, people we share our lives with as we do here. Uh, there's also a little... Uh, small in the little, little town where we live, a very small English-speaking expat church, mostly elderly. I guess it's a bit like the 8 o'clock, which I've never seen, but I can imagine. Um, and they love Jesus. They're doing great things among the poor. They've got a food bank and everything else. Uh, but they're, they're not very theologically equipped. So uh, there was this moment where <clears throat> we're sitting there quietly and hear one of the leaders say, much what I've said now, that God who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you. He said, the Holy Spirit, he said. Just think of that, the Holy Spirit. One of the Trinity, a third of God is living in you. Now, if that doesn't cause you to have a deep intake of breath as to the heresy you've just heard, then we need a bit more teaching here. Do you understand? Because it's not that a third of God is living in us, as though God departmentalized himself. Everything that is true about God is the resource he gives us as our operating system. And this has got massive implications for the life you and I live in our daily lives and as part of this church community as we move forward. It's, Paul covers much of it in other places. He talks about the, the Holy Spirit growing fruit in our lives so that we gradually grow to be more like Jesus himself. He talks about giving gifts to us, gifts for service, gifts for the enrichment of one another. But here in this passage, he covers kind of like three basic implications of what it means 
for the God who raised Jesus from the dead to be living in our lives. So what does it mean then that the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you? Three simple things. The first thing is that he says, Paul says that the spirit gives us life. Verse 11, Paul says, he who raised Christ from the dead who will give life to your mortal bodies. Have you got that? He raised Jesus from the dead and he's going to raise your mortal body from the dead. You get the same deal. And it happens because of the spirit who lives in you. These decaying bodies, which are dying a day at the time, will live. Uh, But what it means is that with God, we will last forever. But this is not just about the future. It's easy to get caught up with the idea this is all about tomorrow, some benefit in the future, and it is. But it's also talking about the present life now. It's not just about the future, about the present life now. I came across a story a while ago of a very, very rich man, I think he was in America, who decided he wanted a magnificent funeral and he left instructions. And people gathered round the graveyard to see his instructions carried out. He was going to be buried in a very expensive Armani suit. Uh, Between his fingers, a very expensive hand-rolled Cuban cigar. In his other hand, propped up a a full glass of the top price bolly. And he was to be in, seated in his Lamborghini, as he was lowered into the grave. And someone was heard to say at that moment, that's living. And if I'd have been there, I would have wanted to scream, actually, no. Do you know what living is? Living is a life empowered and driven by the God who raised Jesus from the dead living in our lives. Okay, number two, Paul says, the Spirit adopts us into God's family. For those who are led by the Spirit, he says here, here, uh, are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you can fear, fear again. In other words, you're not being taken from one piece of slavery to another. We're not being taken away to be, having ceased to be slaves to the dominance of sin and the culture around us to now be slaves to God. No, no. Rather, the spirit you have received brought about your adoption into sonship. See, slaves live in fear. Sons and daughters never should. I think that the best example that I've found is that lovely story that Jesus tells. You know, the lost son. And as he's walking back from the pigsty, not even just sick that he's got caught, he has words going through his mind. We all do it, don't we? We rehearse the conversation that is about to happen. It's what we do. And it's through his mind, I can uh, picture the words that he's rehearsing now. Um, I'll work for you. I'll earn my keep. I'll do everything I can to keep you happy. You see, our our old operating system of the flesh pulls us back like that, believing that now we are still slaves. We've just got a different kind of slavehood. But in fact, there's nothing we can do to make God more pleased with us than he already is. Nothing we can do to make him less pleased and loving than he already is. We're not there. And as the sun walks forward going... Um, I'll work for you, I'll earn my keep. Here comes the father. And what's his words? My son. And that's the difference. See, the spirit 
uh, that, that we received brought about our ab uh, uh, adoption into sonship. And the Greek word that Paul uses there for adoption into sonship is a fantastic term. What, what, what it means is, is to be uh, adopted uh, and to receive the full legal standing of an adopted male in the Roman culture. All right? See, adoption wasn't part of the Jewish culture. That's why you don't find much about Paul writing to Jewish communities about adoption. But in Rome, to that Roman community, this made all the sense in the world. Around them, the, the Christians knew what adoption meant in that culture. Yeah. One of the examples there would be that the Roman emperor Julius Caesar adopt, adopted Octavian as his heir. And Octavian eventually changed his name to Augustus, became Augustus Caesar. The adopted child ruled the empire. That was the big example. But one of the, the greatest things that a rich Roman could do would to be adopt one of the poorest of the poor and give them all the same legal rights as their own offspring. Right? Not kind of next down in the batting order. Not we need a kind of prenup here, so when I've gone, you're not going to get quite the deal. Nothing held back. See, adopted out of slavery to sin and that old operating system, and Paul says, the Spirit has adopted you and me to have exactly the same legal standing with him as Jesus has. And only the Holy Spirit can make that real to us. Because I think that's so incredible, it seems to make no sense at all, that God loved you and me so much, so much, that he's invested in us the same kind of sonship and values as his son. Because he says, now we are children, we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. And the third thing Paul says is that the Spirit makes our adoption real to us. See, we don't have adoption papers, do we? We are adopted, but there's no papers. You can read it in the Bible, but it's, it's, it's kind of not the same thing. You want something tangible. You want something like a passport, don't you? Or, 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 or some papers that says, stamped official, you've got it. You haven't got that. So we need something more. And Paul says, it's the Holy Spirit himself who testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. There's something internal going on to nail it down and make it real so that we understand it the inner witness of confirmation. Uh, Wesley's version was, my heart felt strangely warmed. <clears throat> Our own version is that with five kids, we, Rosie and I had a kind of pattern for each one of them that the moment they came home from having been born and were laid in their first cradle, we prayed with them every night. And they couldn't understand what was going on, but they, there was, from their very first moments of understanding, they would gradually come to hear. And the prayer was fairly regular, and it included, and I'm thinking about our youngest, Zanna, um, with the prayer included, and may Zanna grow up to give her heart to you. And I remember vi vividly being the one who was saying the prayers that night. She was about four, and I'm just turning away, having prayed the prayer, and she said, Daddy, she said, um, uh, could I ask Jesus into my heart tonight? And uh, we prayed a simple prayer. And when, she, when it was through, she said, Daddy, she said, does it tickle when you ask Jesus into your heart? I said, why did it? She said, 
Yes. Yes. Now, your inner witness may not be at that moment of conversion, but there will be a point as we grow, as we engage with God, as the Holy Spirit operates in our life, we can look back and say, not with pride or anything else, that, that God is real, we know him, and the Holy Spirit has enabled us to know it. It moves from our head to our spiritual heart, that inner certainty. But what are, the, what are the implications for all this to you and me? What are the implications for all this to me? Um, Paul says in verse 12, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. There's something we must do in the light of all this. Uh, but it's, the obligation isn't to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if, the, but if by the Spirit, you will live. Our obligation to choose the same operating system for life that we should. I love the way the message translates it. Put it simply like this. Um, you don't owe the old do-it-yourself life. You know, that old I'm going to do it my way life. One red sand, it's, you can tell it's American, but it means you're not a penny. God's spirit beckons. There are things to do and places to go empowered by him in our life. Our choice is to live by that spirit. But what does it mean to you and me on a Monday morning? If you preach without any understanding that it needs to mean something to mark on Monday, then you missed it. So what does it mean for you and me on a Monday morning? You see, the community we are part of here, our family, wherever we work or study or what we do, it may not be exactly like that in Rome filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, arrogance, boastful, inventing ways to do evil, no understanding, no fidelity of God and mercy. But do you know what? It's not all sweetness and light out, is there? There is a huge contrast between a community of people who are doing things their way and the way things should be done by those seeking to allow God to do it through us. So I would say we are called... Our obligation is to live by the power of the Spirit, called to point the way in our lives to a world out there with our words and our actions. And with the Spirit's help, live life to the full. With the Spirit's help, nowhere adopted and inheritors. With the Spirit's help, have the certainty in our hearts that we are God's and he is his.